What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Neither the creators nor podcasters for forward thinking or bona fide legal counsel consult a local artificial intelligence before participating in actions that may or may not result in legal consequences. AI crime may or may not be punishable in your quadrant. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, secret, secret, I've got a secret. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Volkabon. And I'm Joe McCormick. So how's everybody doing today? Not too bad. How about you, Joe? I am doing wonderful because we have a podcast topic that I'm very excited about. Very excited. It's about breaking the law, breaking the law. Yeah, which which we <laughs> is the second time we have referred to that while we were in the studio. And it's still funny to us. Yes, yeah. it is. And so it's not about the future of Judas Priest. <laughs> no, I saw. <laughs> oh a, man, I saw an all right, article. All right, yeah. Oh, did you not get that reference at first? Oh, no, no, no. I was just like, what is the future of Judas Priest? Can we talk okay. about that today instead? Can we just scrap this entire episode we about... We cannot do that. So let's let us focus on I what somehow... we somehow Because I don't have the notes on Judas Priest. I can't really talk about it. With I don't authority. think that would be an incredibly fruitful discussion. No, instead, <laughs> I want to talk about machines doing stuff they're not supposed to do. You mean like Breaking the my... law, doing things that oh. are socially unacceptable. I thought you were talking about like when my toaster burns the toast, but you're you're going a little further than that. Uh, right. yeah, that that's lame. Um, so this would be like my toaster going not on criminal. a, a three-state yeah. arson spree, burning down schools or something. That would be more akin to what we're talking about. It actually would, because I want to ask a general question about where we draw the line for humans having to accept responsibility for what their machines do. Which humans have to accept the responsibility when a machine does something bad? Sure. And are any types of machines exempt? So there was, this was actually inspired by some news stories I saw recently, but I want to talk about some hypotheticals first, and then we'll get into some really bizarre actual examples of what it looks like when a semi-autonomous machine does something not so cool. Okay. So let's say you are a roboticist. You enjoy building robots. All right. That 
that I could under, imagine that, sure. And the way you express this enjoyment is that you build a bipedal humanoid robot and program it to strut down the sidewalk, pushing random pedestrians into traffic. Wow, that does not sound like me, but okay. Are you sure? I've seen you pretty cranky some days. Uh, yeah. What if I... that street were Twitter? <laughs> if the street were, t- if I were pushing pedestrians into Twitter, that I'm all right with that. <laughs> Just right into the flow of the tweets. Yeah. They're falling into the birds. So, <laughs> the so, fail whale falls on top of them. But this example, this ex- this hypothetical example you give, where we uh, we have a person who has created a machine specifically with the intent of harming others. Yeah, this is sort of a starting point because it should be obvious to everyone that the person who created this machine bears responsibility for what it does, right? Right, right. right. Yeah, because... They designed the thing to do exactly what it is doing, which is bringing people into potential life-threatening situations. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I would call this sort of like the weapon orientation towards robotics. You're simply using the robot's body and programming as a weapon. Uh, not much different than if you're using a big stick to bash somebody on the head. It's just like a more complex stick. Right. Mm-hmm. So in other words, the, the robot itself is not at fault. It's actually carrying out the programming of and, and the design for which it was built. It's really the person who was behind that design and programming who's truly at fault in this case. And yeah. furthermore, the robot doesn't know what it's doing. I right. Mean, it's not aware of the fact that it's causing harm to humans because <laughs> it doesn't understand complex situations. Right. Just as a um, an industrial robot doesn't understand that it's building a car. It's just following a yeah. very specific set of motions that it repeats until yeah. it can't Someone do it stops anymore. it. Or, yeah. or like your Roomba doesn't understand that it's freaking your cat right out. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we have to assume these things. Assuming <laughs> yes. robots don't have secret consciousness. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I here, feel fairly confident with that. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Slightly different scenario. What if you imagine the same thing I just described But one person writes the code for a bipedal robot that walks around pushing people, but never uploads it into a robot body because this programmer wrote the program as a joke. Then another person comes along, takes that joke program, uploads it into a robot body, not understanding what it would do when activated. Who's responsible then? Uh... So, yeah, this is interesting. I started looking into court cases for the closest approximation I could find for these kind of scenarios, because obviously we don't really have court law established for this kind of stuff because we're not quite there yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but but if you think this is something that uh, why are they even talking about this? It's never going to happen. Just wait till we talk about a few cases later in this podcast. Right. And so some of the law I'm looking at. It uh, it refers back to gun laws, gun makers, gun sellers, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And the courts have found that gun makers and gun sellers can be held accountable for practices that could end up allowing guns to enter the hands of criminals or gun traffickers if they have not shown that they have taken the proper steps. If they have been negligent in some way or purposefully allowing this to happen, they can be held criminally responsible. So it would probably be a case-by-case basis. Let's say that we have this hypothetical situation you have proposed where someone has created uh, a potentially hazardous program but not uh, not actually executed that program. Someone else takes that program and uploads it to a robot not knowing what the program does. That would be something that would have to be decided within a ca- mm-hmm. an actual case, right? Yeah, and, yeah. And I would imagine that it would be a very complicated, drawn-out case, probably see a lot of different appeals because the, the actual situation you've laid out here has so much wiggle room in either direction that it would be... You know, it's impossible for us to say what the outcome would be. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it obviously depends on the amount of uh, harm done. Yeah. And <clears throat> but there are certainly, um, for example, involuntary manslaughter laws. Sure. Which means that I, you are still responsible for someone's death, even though you completely did not mean to do it. Yeah. 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 They, it's really it's establishing the level of accountability. And, right. And, you know, what whether intent was there or not there, um, it would be. It would be a complicated case, but I imagine that ultimately both parties would be held responsible, both both humans in this hypothetical situation. 
would likely be held responsible. To what extent would depend upon the actual parameters of, of the situation. Yeah. OK, here's another one, a third one that would be sort of analogous to the way we have to ask questions about weapons that exist today. What if one person builds and programs a pushing robot and sells it to somebody else and then the new owner releases it onto the sidewalk and it does its thing? Who's responsible then? I think both parties would be held responsible. I think actually this one is way easier than the first hypothetical situation because you have someone who has designed a device specifically to put others into harm. There's no other reason for that device. Like it's not a tool used for anything else. OK, sure. Uh, this, this is this is a special concept because there aren't really that many people pushing robots around right now. But but in the incredible future, when we all have robots that are capable of pushing people. Sure. Um, I, I, I don't know. It, it's a it's a complicated and, and big yeah. question. And I would suspect that that the maker of the object could, you know, make any number of arguments about the, the actual purpose of the object and that it would be the person who sold the dangerous thing. And the people, the per person, the person using it. Used yeah. it. Well, I, I can but I can see your argument. I can see your argument because you could state that there are a lot of things out there where the the person who created it could argue their way out of the you know like I just built this thing. I didn't put it to use, and it wasn't my intent to have this be something to harm you know innocent civilians or whatever. But uh, in this particular hypothetical situation, it's hard to imagine a world where someone couldn't successfully argue you built a robot with the specific purpose to push people. Um, well, let's make it more complicated. OK. Then. Yay. <laughs> because this this was we just started arguing about what was supposed to be the really easy, obvious example. <laughs> <laughs> let's say you build a bipedal robot that is simply designed to walk forward on a flat surface. It's not designed to hurt anyone. And in fact, it has safety measures in place that are supposed to keep it from hurting anyone. But the problem is the person who programmed its walking behavior did not write very good object recognition or collision detection code. So it walks down the sidewalk, occasionally accidentally pushing anyone who gets in its way. Is the programmer criminally liable? Could this be considered criminal negligence if someone's hurt? Uh, probably not criminal negligence, at least not right now. I mean, if you're if you look at correlatives in other industries, this would be something akin to uh, a defect and you could pursue civil cases against the manufacturer, programmer, etc. You would actually have to identify which parties you would want to sue in pursuit of re getting damages from whatever this, you know, entity is. Uh, and. I would imagine it would follow that same route. So <clears throat> you wouldn't be able to necessarily sue them or, or you wouldn't be able to pursue a, a, a claim of criminal negligence necessarily. But you might be able to say this defect in this uh, in this device led to injury, suffering. Therefore, I'm going to ask for um, some form of restitution on that. Mm -hmm. um, and liability would certainly still be on the side of whoever made the thing in that case. Yeah. And, oh. and again, I do think that it probably depends on the severity of the damage done. Oh, of course. Yeah. Especially if you're talking about like lawsuits or something. Like right. That. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, let's muck this up even further. <laughs> OK. Yay! One last hypothetical muck. before we get to the the real examples. What if instead of one programmer, Many waves of graduate students and professors in a university artificial intelligence lab work on various stages of source code for a robot that is designed to find the safest and best way to navigate a busy sidewalk. And over time, this robot gets very complex. It's a very complex piece of artificial intelligence. Its navigation decision making is uh, displaying unexpected emergent behaviors the way we would expect any highly advanced artificial intelligence program to have. And in one particular test, it decides to kick a slowpoke out of the way. Now, it was never programmed to kick. In fact, you know, we can stipulate they put some kind of safety measures in place to make sure it didn't hurt people. But this program had enough complexity and freedom that it basically invented the move of a kick as a novel solution. Sort of like how we talked about the artificial intelligence uh, program that was able to identify what a cat was, define what a cat was by seeing enough examples of a cat. 
Uh, in this case, we're talking about an artificial intelligent program that comes up with a novel solution to trying to get through a particular Move around an obstacle. Yeah. Yeah. So an unspecified <laughs> emergent behavior from this uh, robot or computer program does something socially unacceptable. Right. Are the creators held accountable for it? This one is particularly tricky. Yeah, right? I think at this point we just burn all computers and <laughs> go back to living in caves. And it's it's possible that the only solution to this problem, and we'll talk more about this in a little bit, is to not is when we get to this level of complexity, this level of sophistication, is to not necessarily look back on the people who made it, who designed it. This is where we start to perhaps discuss the possibility of extending some form of the concept of personhood to robots, meaning that you'd have to have some form of liability upon the robot itself, which usually, I mean, you'd think like, well, how do you hold a, a, a robot responsible? I mean, you can't punish a robot. You can't, you know, you can't go after a robot's bank account. A robot doesn't have a bank account. So in this case, you would have to create a whole new type of industry, essentially robot insurance, <laughs> which would cover this sort of thing. And you would end up having the the robot insurance would have to be the thing that would cover that liability. And in fact, this is something that people have honestly and seriously suggested. And we'll talk more about personhood in a little bit. We're going to discuss uh, a specific Im implementation of robots and robot intelligence in the form of autonomous cars, a subject we've talked about a lot on this show. Yes, and uh, which is more practical than the walking robot that yeah. we have been using as an example here. Right, right. So, so the kung fu robots will take a back seat, <laughs> figuratively speaking, in our autonomous car, and we will discuss personhood with that. But we've got some other things to talk about first. Yeah. Sure. Well, there were a couple of news items I saw recently that made me want to talk about this subject in general. And they were both examples of where computer programs and, you know, we've been using the word robot or bot kind of loosely. You know, there are embodied robots that have some kind of uh, physical form, but we could also just be talking about computer programs. Right. Uh, so these are computer programs that one way or another violated conventions in a way that was unacceptable at some level to law enforcement. Mm hmm. So one of them is a, a shopper bot that bought drugs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait. You're going to have to go a little more further into detail. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so we want to go back to last year, to 2014. There were some Swiss artists based in London that called themselves Median Group Bitnik. I hope I pronounced that right. It starts with an exclamation point before the Median Group. Okay. <laughs> and they conceived an art project exploring the existence and implications of underground marketplaces on the deep web. So I think they were sort of trying to get at what it means that we have these just continuous ongoing underground markets for illicit goods. All right. And they created a program called the Random Darknet Shopper. <laughs> It is an online shopping bot. It's a computer program that once a week goes into a marketplace on the deep web. Uh, brief side note, Jonathan, explain the deep web in less than 100 words. Uh, all right. So it's theoretically the untraceable anonymous web where you can uh, do clandestine things without having all your online motions tracked. Right. So if there's an iceberg that is the World Wide Web, the part poking out the top is Google, Yahoo, all the normal stuff we do. And then below the surface is this massive hive of scum and villainy. Well, it's not. I would argue it's not as massive as what the iceberg example would have you believe. But yes, that otherwise is accurate. OK, anyway, so backing up, this computer program once a week goes onto a marketplace on the deep web with $100 worth of Bitcoin to spend. Okay. okay. And it makes a random purchase each week. All right. So okay. what are some of the purchases they've... <laughs> well, yeah, things? here is a sampling of some things the random darknet shopper randomly bought. Uh-huh. Fake diesel jeans. Of course. Okay. A stash can that looks like a can of Sprite. <laughs> I believe a stash can, I think, is to hide drugs or other illicit substances in. I would I would imagine or that you are correct. Or jewelry if you don't oh, want yeah. 
robbers to find your jewelry. That is a very good cover story, Lauren. Uh, also, <laughs> a it bought a Lord of the Rings ebook collection. Uh, okay. Yeah, which you which you might store your e hobbits in. Maybe. I guess. A baseball cap with a hidden camera inside. Of course. Some Nike shoes. Right. Yeah. All right. It came up with a fake Hungarian passport scan. Wow. Ten packs of Chesterfield blue cigarettes from Moldavia. <laughs> and then, All right. Here's the big one. A packet of 10 120 milligram tablets of MDMA. That's ecstasy. Aha. And so the the all of these things, I believe, were delivered by the sellers uh, to the artists. Mm -hmm. And then they were displayed at an art exhibition about this about this shopper at Kunsthall in St. Gallen uh, called the Darknet from Memes to Onion Land. And that exhibit was open through January 11th, 2015. So they had to know the artists had to know when they made this Darknet shopper that it was possible, maybe even very likely, that this shopping bot would buy something illegal. Well, yeah, I mean the the one of the things I mean it's they're looking at underground markets. Yeah, oh, right, but, right. They could have had it go on Amazon if they had wanted it to bring back nothing but chocolate and, at the very worst, like novelty sex toys. Right. Yeah. Though uh, you may note from the things I listed that while most of its purchases were somewhat sketchy, most of them also were not illegal. And there are many not illegal things on the deep web. Sure, yeah. I mean, it's it. One of the things we like to mention is the fact that uh, while there are plenty of examples of illegal goods, people using the the deep web for purposes to you know illegal purposes. That's not the only reason. There are plenty of people who are just very concerned about their privacy. They don't want they mm -hmm. don't want their purchases tracked by people. They want the freedom to be able to shop. Without any kind of, uh, uh, you know, supervision, whether it's corporate or government or whatever. And it has nothing to do with trying to shop for illegal goods. Yeah. Sure. But I would guess that probably the artists in question were sort of hoping. I mean, it's hard to speculate. You know, we, we can't really know. But, yeah, they they must have known that it was highly possible. Yeah. yeah that it yeah. would buy something illegal. Even though they never explicitly told it to do so. Right. So what's the deal? Are these artists criminally liable uh, for in countries that have drug laws against buying something like MDMA? And should they be held criminally liable in such a case? I mean, putting aside whatever you think about drug laws and all that, just mm -hmm. assuming this program bought something that's against the law. Right. Should that be should the art, the people who created something like this be punishable under the law? Right. Considering that the assuming, of course, that that the the uh, shopping truly was random, yeah. that, that there was no way to direct said shop bot to go for anything in particular. Is it the fault of the programmers if the shop bot actually does buy something that is illegal? And it's that's a complicated question. Yeah, I mean, it would be almost like if you uh, if you created a, a bipedal robot with a sack full of items and then sent it down into the street with instructions to barter with random strangers. Now, what if it came back with some drugs or some illegal guns or something? Right. Uh, I mean. What what would you think then? Well, and, and part of it may just be that the it, this is the sort of stuff that's de decided upon in court cases. Right. It's yeah. not it's not like that. We have an answer right now where we could say, oh, well, this is clearly X, Y or Z. This is something that ends up getting decided after long drawn out court cases. <laughs> and also it could even be that we ultimately see something where anything that doesn't have any agency of its own, like it doesn't have the ability to make decisions on its own in a conscious way. It's truly following as close to random action as you can determine. It may end up being that if it makes contact and purchases illegal things, that the accountability shifts to the person doing the selling of that illegal substance and not necessarily the buying. Mm -hmm. Although, again, the, there's also the question of what do you what did the people you know, wherever that stuff went to, what did the people do with that? Yeah. Now, in yeah, this case, yeah. we're talking about an art, an art show, right? 
Right, and that complicates it even further. So there are a few opinions I came across in The Guardian. They had an article about this event, and uh, the writer of The Guardian article got a statement from somebody in uh, Great Britain from the National Crime Agency who basically said that this kind of thing would have to be assessed on a case-by-case basis. Yeah. It's so weird and unusual that you you kind of have to would just look at the individual circumstances. Though as things like this become more common, it seems like it'd be harder to try to make up a new <laughs> way to apply the law every time you see a case like this. Yeah, well, well, I'm sure that eventually the law would catch up. Yeah. Fusion.net also had a good article about this where they talked to a University of Washington law professor named Ryan Callow about the legal outcome of such a situation. And, and Callow made an interesting distinction between the way the law is written. Right. And so Callow was talking about the difference between laws that are written in such a way that they explicitly punish reckless behavior versus laws that explicitly call out intent. And that, that's how it is in the United States. So in other words, if if I were to create a, a program that would specifically go out and find illegal drugs. That's very clear. There's an intent there. Yeah. If I create a program that it, it doesn't discriminate on whatever is being sold and therefore could buy illegal drugs or it could buy a bunch of ebooks of Lord of the Rings, then that would fall more under the reckless behavior, depending upon what environment I set that shop bot out in. So, in other right. words, if, I, if it's depend a t- on the the phrasing of the the statute itself, sure, yeah. If, if the if the statute is to guard against reckless behavior, and I release a random shop bot into a target rich environment in which there's a lot of illegal activity going on. There's a there's definitely an argument to be made that I was acting recklessly and therefore am am uh, liable in that sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas if it were more on the intent side, that would be a lot harder to argue. Yeah. Uh, another thing I wanted to read a specific sentence from a quote from Callow was that uh, he said, wanting a bad outcome doesn't make it illegal. You cannot wish someone to death. <laughs> But purposefully leaving the bot in the dark net until it yielded contraband seems hard to distinguish from intent. Right. So in other words, if you were to look at the that let, let's let's say that we were able to see a full timeline of this project from the point when they the, the programmers release the shop bot to the point when they conclude their experiment. If that experiment were to go on for several weeks and it only stopped after the shop bot bought the drugs, that at least is somewhat suspicious because it looks and it may not be the case, but it looks like they were waiting for it to get one of these hits. Mm-hmm. And then they said, all right, we got what we wanted. Stop it. Yeah. Uh, but we I don't know what the timeline was. We, we You gave me that when you gave that list of things that it bought. I don't necessarily know that that was chronological. Oh, no, no. I, I put the. Uh... MDMA <laughs> tablets last for a fact. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know in what order they right. arrived. That, so, you might actually be able to find that out on their blog, though. And if it were something like in week three that hit, you know, it ended up purchasing the drugs, and then they continued for another six weeks, then you could say, well, there's no, you know, it's it's harder to say that that was specifically what they were trying to achieve because it kept on going, and the the selection involves more than just this one hit on illicit substances. Sure. Yeah. Well, one of the creators actually gave a statement to The Guardian where they said that we are the legal owner of the drugs. We're responsible for everything the bot does as we executed the code. But this was the qualification. One of the, the creators said, but our lawyer and the Swiss Constitution says art in the public interest is allowed to be free. Which is kind of a totally separate issue. Yeah, it's almost like we got to get out of jail free card because this is done in the name of art, which I yeah. think can only go so far. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, because in January of 2015, after the exhibit concluded, the artists uploaded an announcement to their blog and they they basically explained that Swiss officials had seized their exhibit. So they came in, they announced that the the authorities came in and they confiscated the exhibit Presumably, they said to impede, this is a quote, to impede an endangerment of third parties through the drugs exhibited by destroying them. Yeah, saying that uh, we are convinced that it is an objective of art to shed light on the fringes of society and to pose fundamental contemporary questions. Yeah. I'm curious what contemporary questions they were posing. Well, I mean, on one hand, 
they may have been intending to bring up this very question we're discussing today. And that is what I suspect overall. In which case they got an answer. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. Well, mission achieved. And also, I mean, if the Swiss authorities waited until after the exhibit was basically over, then I say good on all parties. Like, you know, it's they yeah. they stopped the illegal behavior before it could cause potential harm to anyone. Um, and also let us have this wonderful discussion about drugs and robots. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's another story uh, that came out just in the past few months that's kind of similar. So. In February of 2015, a Twitter account named either Jeff Ebooks or Jeff Rebooks, I've seen both. I think maybe one is the handle and one is the name on it. Okay, sure. But it was a Twitter account. I'll call it Jeff Ebooks because of my love for horse ebooks. Okay. Which I think it <laughs> might be a play on. A Twitter account called Jeff Ebooks was used to make a statement that sounded like a death threat. So while the owner of the account was at a fashion and cosmetics event in Amsterdam, the account Jeff Ebooks tweeted, I seriously want to kill people. Yeah, that, that does sound rather threatening. Mm -hmm. uh, a very sad fact about the Internet and humanity is that this should come as a surprise to no one that a Twitter account made a death threat. Sure. But what is a surprise was that the Twitter account that made the threat was not operated by a human. It was a bot account. Oh, I thought what you were going to say was going to be a cat. No. It does sound like what something a cat oh, would a say. Oh, a cat well, would totally yeah. say that. Yeah. No. Cats make so many more death threats than humans. Their, their eyes are just emanating death threats, kittens, beaming out. Kittens think of nothing but murder all day. But this was a bot. So what, what was the – so was the bot meant to just make death threats? No, 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 no. Okay, so it was an account run by a piece of software. This is what we mean when we say a bot account. And the account was owned by a Dutch web developer named Jeffrey Vandergoot. But Vandergoot did not compose or intend this tweet. And an interesting thing happened. The authorities took the online death threat seriously. So the police contacted and questioned Vandergoot, and they eventually requested that the offending bot account be taken down. And it was. But what actually happened? Why did the bot do this? Was it like an evil Twitter bot psychopath? Like cats. No, no. It was not programmed to make death threats. That was not part of its intention at all. It was programmed to cobble together random sentences. Now, wh why would that work and how would it work? Well, do y'all remember the Facebook app, What Would I Say? Uh, I, yeah, yeah. I don't know this one. Uh, well. Yeah, there, there's been a bunch of things like this over over the past several years on the Internet. I remember one from from back in live journal days when it would like something would cobble together a live journal post based on a whole bunch of your previous live journal posts. Now, I will say mm -hmm. that there is something similar to this that I did just last night, which was that someone <laughs> posted a thing on Facebook where you use your phone to create a text message using the suggested word and you just press it 20 times in a row. <laughs> And and it creates a sentence. What was so yours? Mine was, I mine was dark. Mine was I am so much for the end of the end of the end of the end <laughs> of the end. Like it just repeated wow. of the end at that point. That's oh fantastic. So it was apocalyptic in my case. No, no, no. Okay, so That's it's beautiful. An, it's not exactly like that. What would I say? Oh, so goth. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> Are you okay? Are you I'm okay fine. Now? I'm fine. I'm just, I'm just, my, my tiny dark heart is made very happy by that. I know you like it. I can tell. <laughs> no, the Facebook app, what would I say? It took all of the text that you had entered on Facebook over some previous period of time, maybe in, since you had signed up, as a corpus. That's like an archive of text. Mm -hmm. And then it tried to make new sentences by rearranging words and phrases. So uh, a couple of mine I went back and found when I did this years ago. One of mine was, to be my life, we need a book of secret police who work in Ecuador and read the user's interpretations of warmth. Now <laughs> I remember this thing. <laughs> the other, Another one of mine was, someday when you're off the force, hand me your badge. Here's your badge. Here's the weirdest thing. <laughs> That is a that is a very uh, mercurial, uh, uh, you know, a sergeant right there in a police department. <laughs> Give me your badge. Here's your badge. <laughs> Here's the weirdest thing, though. I was like, that does sound like that something. That does I would sound say. like you. Yeah. Also, the the last one I remember is that I had. I don't think I could vote for some busy hands. <laughs> 
Uh, I, I could see you saying that too, actually. Yeah. That I mean, it would be a really strange context. But I, uh, I, I went and found, I went and found this app and and ran a couple through just before we came into the studio here, and it, it brought back. Um, all three of those sound unspeakably adorable, which <laughs> is yeah. absolutely a thing that I would say. Yeah, I probably yeah. have said it before. That's a um, Lauren sentence. And and another one. Um, if anyone, I elbowed in the morning. <laughs> it sounds like you were about to complete a thought and then you're just like, nah. Well, a lot of them do end up like that. Yeah. They are these fragments uh, because the Facebook app was based on a Markov chain generator, which is an algorithmic program that takes fragments of sentences from an existing archive of text mm -hmm. and then it pastes them together to try to make sort of coherent but random new statements. Gotcha. So according to a couple of reports, the app that generated the offending tweet was also of this kind. It was a Markov chain generator. So it was just taking the corpus of this person's account and creating random new statements by mi mixing and matching words and phrases. Here's the even weirder part. Okay. <laughs> when the bot account tweeted, I seriously want to kill people, it was actually in conversation with another Twitter account also run by a bot. What? So I think this may be the first instance of bot-on-bot bot crime that I can think of, <laughs> well, depending know. on if you count all those, like, robot combat TV shows I, from the 2000s. I also think it indicates that even bots find bots incredibly irritating. Yeah. <laughs> uh, although, actually, the Jeff Ebooks account was not in any real way tweeting an accidental death threat at the other bot. Mm. I mean, they were both bots just programmed to respond with random messages when tweeted at by a stranger, so they were basically playing spam tennis. Gotcha. Anyway, back to Vandergoot. Being interrogated by the police for a random tweet generated by a bot that I don't... Vandergoot didn't even create this bot, mm -hmm. by the way. Must be strange. Uh, statement given to the Guardian, Vandergoot said... I told the police that I can technically see that it would be my responsibility since I started the bot and it's basically tweeting under my name. However, it is a random generator, so yes, it's possible that something bad can come out of it, but to treat it as if I made the threat does not make sense to me. Uh, I feel very conflicted about it. I can see their point, but it does not feel right to me that the random output of a program can be considered something I said. Yeah, I can. Uh, I mean, I can certainly see how you would who could argue like these are not my words. However, there's also the argument of, well, yeah, I did allow this thing to to tweet out. I I, I enabled it, but then you know, but there's, is that there's, the same as is that the same as actually making the threat? No. Well, well, I mean, again, I would say that if it came to a court case, it would come down to whether or not like 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 how much harm was actually caused like if that if that bot had tweeted a a threat like that to an actual human person directly and the human person had had been damaged by that concept then that would be a legally culpable thing um yeah you know and and, and kudos to the police for tracking down death threats on twitter that's amazing like, yeah, that, that's the part like, of the story what, that yeah, actually exactly. i'm most blown away by considering, i heard that part and i was like what yeah i'm like yeah like Con like round of applause considering how many stories we've heard about people who have had to field this sort of stuff and and the lack of response they've had from law enforcement it is rather surprising yeah yeah, yeah. well at any rate it is you know this is these are very unusual circumstances right i mean it's just one of those things again like you were pointing out lauren this is the sort of stuff that we don't have the answers for because it is so new it's the kind of stuff that courts are having to answer on the fly mm -hmm. although this is certainly not the only time that two bots have gotten into a wacky bot war and caused some kind of mischief. My favorite story is not a, a criminally related story. Uh, it's from back in 2011. So these two Amazon bookseller bots got into a price war. Um, both were trying to sell an out-of-print copy of, of a science textbook. And one of these bots was programmed to stay 1.270589 times ahead of its competitor in price. <laughs> Upselling in in order to you know bit banking on the fact that uh, it was a large seller and and had good product. Uh, it figured that it could it could go that many times 
up ahead of its competitor and still sell stuff. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. The other bot was programmed to stay 0.9983 times below the first bot, <laughs> figuring that it could just undercut by that much. So the difference here, you can see if you were to subtract one from the other or, or you know, compare them against each other, you see that there's a bit of a favor on the overside compared to the underside. So... What happened when these things were going up against each other? Um, eventually, a $70 textbook wound up being offered for $23.6 million <laughs> before both sellers realized this thing and went, oops. Is that what all these memes on the Internet about the price of textbooks are about? <laughs> I would just say that this proves that knowledge is priceless. Truly. Ultimately. Truly. You are the first target of my pushing robot. (laughs) I'm glad that we have a record of it on the podcast. That'll make the the prosecution so much easier. Well, we are getting into some really weird territory here. So I, for one, in the case of something like the Twitter bot uh, from, from Vandergoot, would not feel comfortable holding the owner of this Twitter account liable for what the bot said. Even if it said something really scary... In that case, since it's so random, there's not even really a, I don't know, there's not even a likelihood that it would say something like that. It just seems like a complete fluke occurrence. Well, and It's a random combination of words that could be in any corpus. You could also argue, I think, pretty effectively that what it ultimately is is a very sad commentary on the public discourse taking place over things like Twitter where – Enough instances of this are happening where that could potentially become something tweeted out at random. Like it's it's almost like it ends up being social commentary, which, of course, doesn't help you in the individual judgment of who is responsible for this instance. Uh, sure, sure. But but it but it points to a larger problem that goes well beyond artificial intelligence. Sure, I, I think the the best. I mean. The most thorough argument you could you could put forth is that it was reckless of Vandergoot to put this bot out there. Yeah, so I guess maybe somebody might say that. I I, I don't know if I feel like that. I, I kind of don't. It just seems like it's such a harmless experiment to run a Markov chain on a Twitter account. I don't know. Maybe if you're doing it from a Twitter account that's typically full of phrases and words that would make death threats... <laughs> Well, I mean, again, if you if you're just it depends on from where the the corpus the is corpus drawn. comes from. Yeah, yeah right? sure, sure. It depends on your magnetic poetry set of what winds up being set on your fridge. Of course, right. If it's if it ends up being the the uh, equivalent of a Cards Against Humanity deck, then you're just <laughs> you're just asking for trouble. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know. This is very strange. It's just very recently that we've started having technology that has the kind of complexity in its behavior that it's difficult to trace the output of the technology from the person who created or owns it. I mean, mm-hmm. typically throughout the history of technology, machines have been very, have been much simpler tools. They very directly affect the will of the user or the creator. You know, a gun isn't really going, it's not likely to surprise you in what it does. It's probably going to do what you do with it. But if you create an artificially intelligent program, even one that's, you know, only kind of artificially intelligent in the way these things we've been talking about are, I don't know. You know, it's strange. Emergent behavior can happen. Yeah. Um, Certainly things like unintended actions can be a result of that sort of thing where, uh, it is more complicated than, you know, pull this lever and this thing happens. Now we're talking about there's some form of randomness that's introduced. Not true randomness because we can't really right. accomplish that. But, but some form of behavior that's abstracted from our intentions. Right. And it, it can it can be effectively random. It might not in the true sense be random, but in every, you know, practical sense it is. And that's when we're kind of we're kind of working our way back over to this idea of autonomous cars because it's a very it's it's something we can we can easily talk about because it's something that is unfolding right now. Sure. Okay. Well, let's look at autonomous cars. I think we've talked about it before. Feel free, either of you, to disagree, but I think the three of us are pretty well in agreement, uh, from what I recall, that 
autonomous cars will probably mean fewer accidents. Uh, based upon Google's experience, assuming that that would carry true f- moving forward, I think it's uh, I think it's a, a safe conclusion to say that, you know, there will be fewer accidents. The, the more autonomous cars we have on the road, the more we'll see the accident rates decline. Right, right. Uh, and those experiments included, if you haven't listened to our prior episode a couple of years ago now on autonomous cars, um, uh, the two accidents that at that time Google Google cars had been in, there were there were only two of them at the time that we recorded that podcast. I haven't heard about any more. And one was uh, one was due to a driver of another car hitting the autonomous car. Right. Uh, and the second was when a person in the autonomous car had taken manual control. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah, pretty good track record so far. <laughs> right. I think the computers that drive these cars are going to be vastly superior to human drivers. The problem is you're just not as good a driver as you think you are. And yes, that applies to you. You think, yeah, other people aren't as good as they think they are. You're not as good as you think you are. I'm not as good as I think I am. It's a problem. Your reaction time is never, ever going to equal that of a Mm -hmm. a computer. It's just it, it, it. We have physical limitations on it. Sure. But that doesn't mean that autonomous cars will never have at fault accidents. Yeah, it would be kind of it would be kind of foolish to make that statement to say that there will never ever be an accident in at in which an autonomous car was the principal cause oh, of sure, that accident. Oh sure, sure. Computers can make poor decisions. Sure. And when they do, this is a big question. Yeah. Who's liable? The owner, the manufacturer, could we li- Say in some cases nobody's at fault. It's a weird question. Oh, I am sure that insurance companies aren't going to like that last answer. <laughs> uh, well, the insurance companies again uh, may end up coming up with a brand new model specifically for autonomous cars. There are some people who are calling for that to to be the case. Now, granted, we're still at least a few years away from autonomous cars becoming a consumer product. A thing, yeah, yeah. Sure. They're, they're, I've seen some predictions as early as twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. Uh, others, you know, when 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 2000 came around, there were people saying, oh, not within our lifetimes. And now we're suddenly, oh, within the next five years. Yeah. But uh, one of the people I was reading about, um, is a, he's a lawyer, Frank uh, John Frank Weaver. Uh, he posted in, in Slate about this and said that we might want to, this is where we might talk about it, personhood, extend some concept of personhood to robots and hold the robots themselves liable. And thus insurance companies would have specific rates for robots, in this case, autonomous cars, that would mean that uh, if that autonomous car were to cause an accident, it would be counted against it in that respect. It, that's how it would be liable, was through this insurance. Now, granted, that insurance would be paid by the owner of the autonomous vehicle. Mm-hmm. And the the basic argument I've seen is that the belief is that the accident rates will be very low, so the risk for insurance companies will not be that high. Thus, it will actually be attractive for insurance companies to do this because they're going to make way more on premiums than they ever have to pay out. So the idea is that for insurance companies, this is a this is a windfall for them. Uh, I have feelings about car insurance companies, <laughs> emotions even. Well, yeah, I mean, there there are a lot of things we could say, certainly. No, no, no. That's, uh, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, uh, I, I also have feelings. But in this in this case, uh, it is an interesting concept in saying that, you know, we could extend personhood to these autonomous cars and keeping in mind they they are not intelligent in the way humans are intelligent, right? They are able to sense the environment and react to it, but they're not able to compose a thought the way humans can. Sure. And there are some people who argue, well, that why would you extend personhood to that? And his reaction is that, hey, we already extend the concept of personhood to corporations. Those are not human. Yes, but on the other hand, I would think that there is a slight disconnect there because Corporations, at least in theory, can be punished. And it, this this sort of brings up the question that underlies this episode, like, what is the purpose of holding someone legally accountable? What is the purpose of punishment? And I know there, there are lots of sort of philosophical theories about there where people differ, but I think a really common answer you'd hear today is that the purpose of punishment is deterrence. 
mm-hmm. you want to discourage people from committing crimes by saying, well, if you do commit a crime, a bad thing is going to happen to you. Uh, so, right. And, and a corporation has just as much power to observe that and go, I guess we won't do that thing right. as a single person does, because that corporation is being non-randomly, completely on purpose. We all cross our fingers and hope every day run by people. Right. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Now, this is another problem. Like, again, in practice, you might say that corporations can't be held sufficiently accountable but at least in theory, they are supposed to be held accountable. Sure, they can sure. be punished by the law. Right. Well, in, in this case, here's here's my perspective, is that if we're talking about damages, like, for example, the autonomous car collides with another vehicle, mm-hmm. then in that case, I think people would argue that the insurance, the liability of the autonomous car it would be on the autonomous car itself. The insurance would cover it. Uh, that would all be handled in a very – in. <laughs> A civil way, not as in civilized, but in non-criminal <laughs> civil matter. court. Civil court, yes. Whereas, if it were something that was more serious, let's say that it was a, an accident involving an autonomous car and a passenger or a bicyclist, or that there were injuries that were a result of this, and it would have been something that should it had been a, a human driver behind the wheel, it would have been a case of uh, vehicular manslaughter or some other uh, criminal act. In that case, I would argue that it would be most likely the courts would be looking into whether or not the manufacturer of the vehicle had in fact created a defective product, and therefore it would become more of a defective product st- uh, issue and less of uh, an a insurance fault thing. of the driver, yeah. right, yeah. or non-driver. Sure, yeah. And it seems in this case that the same principle we've been observing throughout this podcast in in our hypothetical examples applies again. The simpler the instructions this machine is following, the easier it is to establish whether the creator or whatever is guilty. Right. Once the instruct, when the behavior becomes more and more complex, mm-hmm. where it's more and more difficult to look at the code and predict exactly what this thing would do in any given scenario, I don't know. Well, yeah. it's it's again. I think that it would come down to to. Potentially criminal negligence, probably civil negligence, because I believe that most of the time when, um, uh, for, for example, a airbag malfunctions and injures a passenger sure. in a car, um, that's usually settled out of court. It's it's all it's a civil matter. It's, it's a civil matter. Yeah, there, right. There's not there isn't uh, criminal liability in that case. Right. Right. Um, and so I would assume that that based on our current laws, uh, n- new laws are probably going to be written that include this kind of civil liability. Yeah, we usually see new laws built upon older ones, mm-hmm. right? We don't tend to see the reinventing of the legal wheel. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, it makes me wonder if in the future as artificial intelligence becomes more ubiquitous in our lives, especially in robots, things that are actually embodied and can act in society and perhaps injure people, are we going to start having a legal profession that's like a computer motive analyst, someone huh. who is a who is an expert <laughs> witness in court cases? To look at source code and tell you about the motives of the robot. I'm sure we'll see plenty of uh, expert or, sorry, te- testimony. To assess intent. Yes. Right, right, right. Your Honor, I do not think that the Roomba should be held liable for this cat's <laughs> trauma. Well, the or the person who created the Roomba, but yes. <laughs> well, at any rate, um, so so John Frank Weaver was arguing that we extend personhood to robots. Uh, Brian Sherwood Jones, who's a design consultant, disagreed with that and said that we have to hold people accountable for robot mistakes, not to ever have the robots have the point where the blame is on the robots, because his argument was otherwise it means that you have a mass evasion of responsibility. Uh, That being said, that if 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 I were to investigate this and I were to find that the designers, the engineers, the programmers, everyone did their due diligence and did their absolute best. And in all the testing, there was never any indication that some sort of emergent behavior mm-hmm. could result in this. How do I do I just end up saying, well, this is a vic- this is a this is a faultless situation where someone was uh, injured or damage was done to property or whatever, but there's no one at fault. I mean, I guess that would be the only other conclusion you could draw. Well, you could. I mean, this would be a very weird scenario, but you could start to think about once we achieve truly 
sophisticated artificial intelligence that's sufficiently abstracted from the intentions of the creators, would we have to think about the robots that had this kind of intelligence as like forces of nature, Mm. the way we treat a tornado or a wild animal or something? So we would say it's an active bot. Yeah. Gotcha. (laughs) You know, I'm serious about that. I've got an idea, though. I've got an idea. Let's create like a cascading series of laws that dictate how robots should behave in order to prevent them from ever causing harm to humans, property, or each other. Hey, but we saw some emergent behavior in Asimov, didn't we? What? <laughs> Look, all I did was read the laws. I didn't bother to read the stories. That's not true. No, it's not true. No, and those are flawed on purpose to make stories interesting. Well, actually, it is, it is a great example of exactly what we're talking about. This is something that has been bandied about in science fiction for decades very well. And it, and it's it was very prescient because it turns out that we're now on the cusp of having to actually create the 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 legislation mm-hmm. that will guide us in the years ahead. And ultimately, if we said, all right, what does this look like 20 years from now? It's very hard to say because we're still in that earliest of phases. But it, it is fun to talk about, and it's becoming necessary at this point. We've already seen some examples that show how necessary this is. It's just going to get more necessary as time goes on. Any last thoughts? Um, we are not lawyers and do not offer official legal counsel. <laughs> or unofficial legal counsel. Very good to say. <laughs> yeah, we probably should have put that at the front. But uh, oh, yeah. Maybe, yeah, maybe we will. <laughs> Yeah, you, you know, maybe we'll just have that preface each episode. Uh, <laughs> this has actually been a ton of fun to talk about. Joe, you were the one to suggest this topic, and it was amazing. So yeah, thank, thank you very you. much. Um, and, of course, we're getting great suggestions from you listeners out there, and we want to encourage you to continue sending those suggestions in. We love to hear from you. We love to hear your thoughts on the subjects we cover And, of course, we are happy to cover the topics you suggest in episodes as well. So in upcoming episodes, your suggestion could be one we talk about. We'll we'll give you a shout out and everything. So you should send us an email if you have any suggestions or questions or comments. Uh, That email address is fwthinking at howstuffworks.com. Or drop us a line on Twitter, Google+, or Facebook. At Twitter and Google+, we are FWThinking. On Facebook, just search FWThinking, and that search bar will pop right up. Leave us a message, and we'll talk to you again really soon. this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. 
Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.